when I look back and like speak to my mum and stuff, there's not there's not too many things I'm really envious of about you know like <laughs> grow, growing up in the you know older generations. You know, I think obviously the world's still not a great place now, but I think it's got marginally better. But that's one of the few things I am envious of is kind of the the party scene and the DIY, and I think so interesting. Yeah. And I think a lot of people okay. my age don't really know much about it at all. So I kind of no. wanted to kind of make this in a way to um, yeah, spread a bit of information, have a bit of light on it. So there was four core cool members of DIY by when we started in Nottingham in the summer of 1989, when I was 22. Your mum was probably about 22. <laughs> you were minus whatever you were. Anyway, so... The funny thing is, everyone thinks we're all from Nottingham. None of us were from Nottingham. So in the core yeah. members of... There's four or five core members of DIY who did all the organising, and then there's another 10 DJs, and then another 20... This year, I'm jumping around a bit here, but the, so, and another 20 sound engineers and the PA people, the lighting guys, and there's another sort of... Sort of and all the... No one was from Nottingham. So uh, Pete and I met in Bolton. We're both from Bolton, Greater Manchester, and Rick, who's now Grace Sands, who transitioned... A few years mm -hmm. ago, um, from, also for some Stockport. So two of us from Baltimore, one from Stockport, and the other guy Jack was from uh, Bristol, and Simon was from Wales. We all we all ended up in for different reasons in Nottingham. Yeah. So, but me and Pete grew up. I think I tried to say in the book the thing the interesting, the unique thing about DIY was that we crossed lots and lots of barriers and we confused a lot of people. So we were neither Crusties, nor Chownies, nor an anarchist you know, nor punks, nor travellers, nor we were all those things at the same time. So, yeah. so Peter and I grew up in Bolton. We met, we were about 15, he was 16. And um, we started going to Hacienda probably when we, Hacienda opened in 82, but long before house music he was even invented. We were just really into music. So some of the music we were into was like, there's a band called Crass. I don't know if you've heard of them, they were like the, the mm -hmm. sort of seminal anarcho-punk band in the 80s. Yeah, so going from punk originally being like the Sex Pistols and smash things up and spite, you know, the, they went really political and they all wore black clothing and fuck those no authority but yourself and they all they're vegans and anti-war and feminists. And so we had all that on one side. Crucially, they did lots of free gigs, they did lots of benefits. So there was that side. And then there was the sort of free festival side. So we started going to festivals when we were about 16. Uh, and it says in my book, the first festival was near Blackburn in northwest of England. And uh, we just looked, no, it's a free festival. So it's very hard to explain to people these mm. days, a free festival. Then no one gave a shit. No one, there wasn't an athlete who wanted to go. The police didn't really care. And we went and there was like a blackboard, a line of Coke, five quid, line of speed, quid, mushrooms, 50p. Acid 50p, and it's like, check this out. Yeah. So, yeah, the age of 16, where we just did free festivals, music, we went all weekend. So, that was another thing that we were doing. But also, because we grew up in Manchester, the time of Joy Division and New Order, and what went on to become, and then the Smiths, but more importantly, there's Happy Mondays and the Stone Roses. Mm -hmm. I think if we'd have grown up in Nottingham, Joe, I would never have happened because we were all. We just happened to live within 10 miles of what was the greatest musical city on earth in the 80s, Manchester. Yeah, yeah, of course. And then, of course, the Hacienda from about 88 onwards became the most infamous nightclub in the world. So we had all those different influences. One was this anarcho punk thing, one was this sort of free festival, 
uh, festival thing, and the other was this kind of like really opposite Factory Records, Hacienda, that you know, which was I don't know if you know about Factory Records, but they they signed Joy Division, Ian Curtis mm. died, New Order, but they they just did mad shit. They bought the Hacienda, they they signed their contracts in blood. They just did loads of mad. They didn't do anything for money. They just did things. They were like situationists, if you know situations where they just they, so they're, they're kind of political with a small p. Yeah, so yeah. all those influences. So we're, I met Pete and I moved to Nottingham and I met Rick and we just, all three of us were just, music was just our thing. I mean, not our only thing, you know. We liked getting wasted, to be honest. But, yeah, um, it's it a good mix, really, isn't it? It's a great mix, in the day. But so we were all, we were into elect, we were, we were both into punk rock, all three of us into punk rock, we were all into electro, we were into soul and funk and we were into hip hop. So this is so long ago, hip-hop had only just been invented. So this is not mm. a move to not in 1986. Hip-hop, I mean, that's when Run DMC's first album came out, I think. And that was it's impossible to imagine that only just then someone invented house music. Well, black American gay people invented house music in America, Chicago, you know, maybe New York, Detroit. Mm. And then it's derived here and it, it just... That is what the book is about. It just feels like this music from outer space. It's very hard to convey to someone like yourself who's grown up with everything digital, all you know, with that, with the internet and with laptop. Yeah. With, with no back then, I mean, no one had a computer. You wouldn't have a computer in the house. No one had a computer in the house except for people, weird programmer types. What was the point? What makes it so interesting to me is like it's it's quite hard to grasp. I think for uh, you know. And it yeah. is, I mean, it's not that long ago. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's only 30 years <laughs> it's ago. It's not that. 35 <laughs> years ago. Well, you know, it's but, kind you of know, history, though, isn't it? Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, but it's just so, so the, amount, the amount it has changed, you know, is mm. quite interesting. And I think something it's that... Staggering. People... It's staggering. It's one, it's one of the biggest leaps in human history, even even human evolution. And it happened exactly, so quickly. Yeah. And digitization, the, you know, digitization computers just suddenly changed everything from banking to music to porn to to shopping, to obviously to everything's changed. Yeah, five everything's years, online now, years. isn't it? You know what I mean? Like you can do everything's it. Everything's online. And whether it's a good idea, whether it's better or worse, the jury's out because it's so new. Mm. So Chairman Mao, who was the sort of leader of China in the 1950s, someone asked him, what do you think the effects of the French Revolution were 200 years before? And he said, well, it's too soon to tell. So I get asked a lot, what do you think about the internet? Do you think this rave revolution, do you think what you guys did in the 90s will ever happen again? I don't know, but um, it's just too soon to tell. The internet may well be the saving or the downfall of human race. We don't know yet. Yeah, I guess so you can't young. tell at this point. The internet's yeah. only not much older than you are, you know, it's about the internet. Mm. I think as the... well, there's a lot of positives to the internet, but there's like a lot yeah. of negatives. You know, there's a lot I think... of, well, it's like everything though, isn't it? It's like drugs, yeah. there's a lot of positives and negatives. There aren't many negatives with music, although there's supposed to be some shit music, but um, well, it's like everything. Everything has its yin-yang, its plus and its, and its minus, isn't it? Yeah, very true. But the internet, when it started, it was this utopian idea of freedom away from government. You didn't sell things on it. You didn't, it wasn't used, but, but anyway, but apart from it, so what was important then was we only had vinyl. So last mm. week I organised two, I've just done three launch parties, so uh, a book launch and then a party so that's six events and everyone is fucking has i don't know if you dj at all the djs have either got vinyl or they've got cds or they've got a data stick so it's just a pain in the arse so you have to have yeah. like this whole bank of equipment so in our yeah. days 
without, you know, we had two turntables, always Technic 1200s and a mixer. And that was it. We had to have a sound system as well, but that was it. It was so basic. And um, so where was I? So yeah, hip hop. So then we, me and Rick went to, you probably know Rock City. So we went to this mm -hmm. night at Rock City in August, 1988, got Acid House Frenzy. And ecstasy hadn't even arrived in Nottingham at that point. Um, it was just read, you read about it in the papers, but it was acid house parties, normal raves, and we were like, yeah, we want some of this. We were just in the right place at the right time. We went to this night, got acid house frenzy, and it just checked with just the music. I'd never heard music be mixed before. And so it was just like, this record's been going on for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> so I think they mixed, they and we were looking over the thing, just always oh, just so funny now, looking back, you're looking over the DJ booth, these London DJs, and like, what the fuck are they? Are they mixing two? Ah, there's two records being mixed together. Right, okay. Okay, it just sounds mad. And the music was just, it was Acid House. And it was it was so different to any of the music we'd ever heard before. And for, well, for me and Rick, it just, that was it. Bam, our lives just yeah. changed in that, mo that night. And we went on the dance floor. We didn't really dance much before, a bit, to hip hop. But then we went on the dance floor for four hours. And so then Pete moved down. And um, so we were on about... We started basically, but we bought some decks. We bought some records. We started doing house parties. So we bought some decks. They cost eight hundred. You know, like we were the first people I know anywhere in Nottingham to have decks at home, and then a mixer. Uh, and then I was like, oh, and then we just started. So we mixed playing. You go to select this, which is still is it still there or selected this? And uh, then happened. They literally had ten house records. There was no techno. There was no. There was no drum and bass. There was no. Um, there was no hardcore, there was no gabber, there was no, none of that. It was just hags. It was all said 10 records like that. We bought like five of them and started doing house parties. Pete moved down in sometime in May 1990. Then we moved in together at a house in Mapley Park, and that's when DIY sort of took off. We met Simon, who's DK, who was our sort of first DJ, who I just saw last weekend for the first time in a while. Because we're very, you know, I'm uh, 55, so it's kind of, <laughs> it's uh, we get more creakier every year with the, every time we meet up. But um, so that was the core of DIY, and those our influences came from. Yeah. So what we did was, so Acid House changed everything for everyone. So it changed the way the, the chart music, it changed the way music was made. It was suddenly made digitally. It was music from space, and it wasn't just so. If, if you include Ibiza and the Hacienda and the Blackburn parties and Shoom and the whole thing was just so utterly radical. Yeah. You could compare it to punk 10 years earlier, but it was even more radical than that because punk at the end of the day was just guitars. Fast guitars, snark, you know, people like the remote music like that had been made by the Stooges or remote. It was just different, but this acid out, it was just, it was it was like, it was being beamed from some stuck planet in a different galaxy. It was just like, mm. what the fuck is it? We didn't understand, we don't know how it's made, we don't know what it is, we don't know. It was so different to like disco. Disco almost sounded like it was a band playing it, nothing it was, if it was chic, you know, but this was just so obviously made on machines. So what are these machines? Then slowly we bought a drum machine and we bought a little keyboard and a little 303 and a body and started trying to make music. And um, at the same time, some ecstasy arrived. So we were fairly keen drug takers between, between me and you and your project. But, you know, ecstasy arrived at exactly the same time. So we were doing this book launch in Manchester last week, and I would say it's just ecstasy was invented, MDMA was invented in 1917. So it's a complete fluke that it arrived. Mm -hmm. This synthetic music that was obviously made without 
on a computer and this synthetic drug that was like nothing that anyone had ever taken before. And we didn't know what either of them were. And when you put them together, I'm getting goosebumps already at the age of 55. <laughs> when you put them together, it was just a bad. I mean, so we didn't, you know, we never had jobs. We would just do it. We lived together, we worked together, we parted together, we set up a record label, well, two record labels, set up a recording studio, did an album for Warp Records, uh, blah, blah, blah. And we had a posse of about a thousand people at one point. So yeah. we did three festivals at Castle Morton. Sort of infamous free festival in May 19th, 30th anniversary, actually, in two weeks. So, um, yeah, and we just, I didn't, we were in the right place at the right time, but we were just relentlessly determined. We just believed. And there's a bit in the book where it's like, I think we would have actually died for what we were doing at one point. You know, we got arrested yeah. all the time. We just didn't care. It's just, it's just been what you're passionate about. It's what you really care totally about. Totally passionate. In the moment, we were for 10 years and we, we lived and worked together. We didn't have any arguments, you know. We get, and then we got we became more international. So we were, we got invited to DJ in like Australia and uh, California and San Francisco, Los Angeles, Dallas, Amsterdam. We went to Ibiza every year. We took like fifty people with us. We took fifty. So we were so the two things we were, we were a collective. So this is where the crass bit comes in. We weren't. So you take any other club, Cream or Gatecrasher or whatever and there was just usually one or two people making a lot of money charging i mean cream on new year's eve even then was 30 quid a ticket so you know there was just people making that's they were doing it to make money and we were not we 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 yeah. just didn't we didn't do we, we believed so there's an arco punk bands they used to charge a quid for their gig and they used to on their records and say pay no more than one pound 99 or whatever so we had a little bit of free parties. And if you've got a free party, lots of people can understand it. So why is it free? It's free because if it's free, you don't need security. You don't need a fence. You don't need a license. You don't need tickets. You don't need all that shit. You don't need an end time. You don't, it's all gone. Mm. And it's just complete freedom. And that's, that's why DIY were famous, really. I mean, we're famous for our sound and our club nights, but really it was the free parties. that. I was just going to say, it leads me on to um, like another question I had as well. So 94 like, it was, November 94. Um, no, there's loads of other reasons. I think, um, yeah, well, I have lots of theories about sort of social scenes. So if you look at any of them, so if you go back to when teenagers were invented in the 1950s, the first sort of youth, hmm. rebellious, drug-related cult movement was, that you know, rock and roll in the, in the 50s, and then you had the whole hippie acid thing in the 60s and then you had punk rock in the 70s and every 10 years and then acid house in the 80s i suppose I don't know what happened in the 90s brit pop didn't really wasn't quite in the same league but um so those movies like anything like anything in life like a flower or a person or a baby or a, just looking around a grape so things are born and they flourish and then they wither and it's you put so acid house wasn't just in a vacuum when we did those three parties what festival there wasn't just in a vacuum of us it was in this whole wider context of how recently so that all the travelers they they were sort of three years behind all the city people really so two years so they didn't they didn't really we we went to glastonbury in 1990 this is 86 it was a, used to be a, this is another mountain it used to be a huge free field it was thirty thousand people full of travelers and he, he just michael Evis just let it happen and we met up with some travellers in, you probably know them, Chili Phil, Boise, mm. Emma, 
you might know them, I don't know. They were older in Nottingham. So we met those guys in 1990 and suddenly we were doing outdoor parties with travellers and that was the that was just the revolutionary bit. Acid House is revolutionary, but the free party, it was really revolutionary. It was free. And everything they go, you know, dancing out under the stars in a tent, free all weekend, bloody blah, blah, you can't beat it. So but that happened, it'd already been so when Castle Morton happened, it was Castle Morton that blew the gaff. So before that, there'd been lots of free fests. So the, we went to free fest in 91 and loads of travellers were just abuse, just shouted abuse at us and called us discos. Get that disco shit off. And they, they, they wanted bands and they were all like, hey, fucking, but they couldn't believe we'd just brought turntables and records. They were, they were outraged. We were trying to, and within a, within a year, they'd all fucking changed their minds and suddenly they were all into raving because it was yeah. just, it was just irresistible. So Castle Morton's, you could feel it in the air. So it, was a, it was Avon Free Festival, which had been happening every the last weekend in May. The bank holiday May had been happening since the seventies. So the year before, it was at a place called Chipping Sobbury. So there was about five thousand, eight thousand, ten thousand people there. Maybe there was us, the only sound system there, really. And all the travellers, you could see them changing their attitude. There was suddenly loads and loads of ecstasy instead of there'd been speed and acid at the fest, free festivals before. By Castle Morton, it was almost over. It was like, well. We'd gone from being on the f- page five of the local newspaper to the to after Castle Morton, on the front page of the Daily Sunday Telegraph, hippies fire flares at helicopters. So someone tried to bring down a police helicopter. And it was, you look back and laugh. It was so, it was so big. And hmm. uh, it was, so they said, right. So what they wanted to do is a criminal justice bill, which then becomes an act. It wasn't just about raving, which is section 63. There's loads of other bits, but they threw it in there because they were trying to win an election. So, but it did. The police have been trying to criminalise raves, but the problem is having a party isn't actually a crime. Mm-hmm. Because why? Well, it's not a crime, is it? So, mm-hmm. first of all, they tried to do people for uh, noise pollution, but then that's a civil offence. So they have to come and take a reading and then take it to court. So by the time you do that, you're long gone. Or then they tried to do people for unlicensed entertainment. So, But if, you're, if it's free, you're not selling alcohol. You don't need a licence if you're on permissioned land. So they spent the whole. They just looked at it and thought this must be a must be illegal. But in fact, it wasn't. So they so then they produced a law that made it illegal. Mm. So what I think I don't think it. I think it. I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's entirely responsible for leading to the death of free raves and free festivals. I think the police. I was just talking to someone a minute before you, and then there was a there was a free festival called a place called Laxton in Northamptonshire. Three weeks after Castle Morton, it was just a nightmare. It was the Castle Morton was glorious weather. It was just amazing. It was like it was like a village fate. The atmosphere was just amazing, yeah. and there was loads of sound systems, and it was really friendly, and it was uh, it was glorious. And then three weeks after, there was this really awful free festival. It rained, and the police had obviously decided that Castle wasn't going to happen again. And there was like ten, uh, five, six thousand police. They completely blocked off the site. They blocked all the roads massively, like in the miners' strike, military in a militarized fashion. Someone had always decided, the order had obviously come down, this is not, Castle Morton would not happen again, and it never did. So it wasn't particularly the act, because the act wasn't, didn't come along for another two years. It was just the police's attitude changed, and they were obviously, you could, so we moved back to sort of going down, all those things happened in the southwest of England. So, but you started doing parties in Derbyshire, which you probably know well. So around Matlock and Buxton, there's just some really lovely quarries. So a lot of travellers moved up there, 
So this is like 91, 92. And then we just, the police didn't even notice. Mm. So the police in the Southwest were militarized. They were used to dealing with travelers going back to Stonehenge in the eighties and blah, blah, blah. The police in Derbyshire, we found these quarries and we did this party for a hundred and five hundred and a thousand people. And the police never even showed up. So it was, yeah. cool. it was great. For us. Sounds amazing. Well, it's all that. Or you drive your, your rig and your truck down to the southwest. You get arrested. You get stuck in the police roadblock. You get blah, blah. or you can go to Derbyshire and just do it. You know, just have a proper party with just with loads of people from Matlock and Manchester and Sheffield and Nottingham. So we did that. So I think yeah, the question being the Criminal Justice Act, it did. It just it was the police that the police's attitude changed after Castle Morton. So they stopped. And then the criminal justice act didn't happen for another year and a half. And that just gave them the sort of uh, legal ability to stop a rave. So, but you know, there was, a, there was a party like what, two weeks ago in Dorset, I saw on Facebook. There was like a thousand people raving. They still couldn't stop it. Yeah. It's very hard. To, if you've got a thousand people dancing, it's very, how many police, it's very hard. What it's they hard do to is, control that, isn't it? Well, it's hard to stop it. But uh, I mean, they can, but it's, it's a serious public order situation. So what they'll do is they'll roadblock it and just leave them to it. But then they go off the date because it's quite, if they go in, literally, they're going to need quite a lot of police, possibly riot police to go and unplug it because they, you know, so, um, so they still don't really just, I guess what I'm trying to say, the, it was part of a, it was a, something that flourished and it ended. And that's why you can never recreate. So people try to recreate Castle Morton 10 years later and it's like you've got no chance because Castle Morton happened with no flyers no publicity no mobile phones if you can imagine such a thing <laughs> and it was on the six it was on the six o'clock news on the BBC which is the best uh, advert for it said we advise any young people who are thinking of going to this rave on Castle Morton come not to go yeah that's <laughs> all you need to say really isn't it yeah that worked the next thing there's 40,000 people there but yeah. what it was, was my answer is it was this brand new technology and this brand new drug, and it just, it, I don't quite know how that happens again. Um, there was just one more thing, I think. Okay. If that's all right. I just wanted yeah, to yeah. Um, get your opinion on whether, like, at the time or even now, do you, did you think anything about like DIY was political? Well, no, it was deliberately political with a small yeah. P. That's my point is that I was saying we, we weren't just a lot of the ravers, a lot of the clubbers, they had no concept of the history of anarcho-punk. And so we were into anarchism and we were into all we set up a thing called All Systems No, which is like us and Smokescreen and Babble and Quadrant and all the other sound systems. We we raised loads of money and we took loads of coaches to the there's three demos in London. We produced like tens of thousands of flyers and tried to fight the criminal justice, but we were, ne we were never gonna win. But yeah, we were very political. So we, you know, when we did a club night, everyone got 75 quid. Me as the organiser, the DJ's got 75 quid, the lighting guy, the sound guy, the blah, blah. Uh, you know, everyone got 75 quid. And if anyone complained, we, just, we, we can fuck off. So we were a collective. So everyone got, you know, we ran it on mm. anarchist. It wasn't a hierarchy. It wasn't run, as I say, most, most organisations, especially to do with clubs, there's usually one or two people, usually from London, Manchester, Birmingham or Liverpool, who are making a lot of money. You know, things like... It wasn't Green. about the profit, was it? Well, it's never about the profit. never made any fucking money. Yeah. <laughs> never made any money. And politics, music, drugs, 
if you manage to, we just found a way, half by luck, half by judgment, we managed to combine all those things into a fucking great old thing. It's what's mad that. is, you ask your, yeah, you ask your mum, and like, Pete, 30 years later, I did this three book launch, and we did a DIY, Pete died in 2020, but the year before, we did a DIY 30th thing in Nottingham, there's five and a half thousand people applied for tickets. So I've just done a book launch in London. There was like mobs. There was, and so many, it still means so much to so many people. And why? It wasn't yeah. because of the people. We just happened to be at the centre of it. It was a massive collective. And as I say, you probably had the biggest crew ever. We probably had about a thousand people who'd come to our event. And it, yeah. I just did this book launch in Manchester last Friday. So 30 odd years later, and people just stood up and said, it wasn't just a great laugh. It, it was the most important thing that's ever happened in my life. Apart from my kids, maybe we have to say that. Yeah. <laughs> no. But I think it's just it's, it's it's incredible and a testament to well, not just you, but like everything you believe in that it's had yeah. such an had such an impact on uh, so many people. But um, but the influence on Nottingham, I think our influence on Nottingham that largely what musically was massive. So mm. it became it's a bit in the book where I say, you know, about 1990. If you're into the music, it's things like hardcore came along. And it split off into always, there was Balearic, which was all slower, Ibiza style, yeah, yeah, music. And then there was hardcore, which is self-explanatory. And we stuck to it and it became known as Deep House. But for a while, people just called it DIY. So we never went above 125 beats per minute. And we started, we set up a record label, we set up a studio. We got, we didn't get bored of doing free parties. We were just fucking exhausted, to be honest. We nearly, we'd been arrested 10, 12 times between us. And it's like, you know, after three or four days in a field, packing your PA up and then getting arrested and then, you know, it's like, it's just exhausting. Mm. You have to have a lot of energy. So, and then we were just flat and then Smokescreen came along from 92, 93. It was like, yes. And they started doing parties every weekend. So people stopped harassing us, but they played sort of deep. They, I don't know they copied us, but uh, they played the same music and then they, you know, they were half from Sheffield and then there's people from Derby and then there's, that whole, the whole East Midlands was the only place where it was almost like, hard, you know, there was a few hardcore DJs, but it was almost like this whole East Midlands sound of Deep House that we kind of started. So kind of proud of that as well, really. So you yeah, did, definitely. You did, I mean, thanks, Henry. Thank you. Cheers, mate. See you later. Bye-bye.